0: Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Therefore, said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I thank you because it is the power of God and the salvation to them that believe. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to believe on your word, God, that we might be saved today. That our families will be saved today. Lord, that your will will be done in this place, God, in our hearts, in our lives, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for what you're going to do through the power of your word, Lord. I thank you for what you have spoken to me. I thank you for what you're going to speak in this place, Father. And we just give you glory and honor for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to finish up this morning the series that we've been in for love's sake, for the love of our family, for the love of our family. Again, it's good to see you this morning, uh, being here with us today. I want to read Nehemiah chapter 4 and I want to uh not the whole chapter but I want us to go to verse 7 cuz I want us to get the story here if we could and uh and I know it kind of breaks the rules or the laws of preaching as some people would preach or teach preaching uh methods to read so much but I uh I just want us to get the story in our minds and we'll read lots of scripture this morning. But I want the Lord to help us and to minister to us. Verse 7, it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches, the breaks in the wall, began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. They were mad and conspired, all of them together, to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, talking about the folks inside, the people of God. The strength of the bearers of the burden is decayed. And there is much rubbish, much trash, much debris that we're working with. So that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries, they said, they shall, our adversaries have said to us, They shall not know neither see till we come in in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times. They kept telling us over and over and over again, from all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. They're coming. They're going to destroy and hinder the work that you're doing. They're going to be on you. Nehemiah said, therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall. We stopped working, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and that God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, every one of us to to his work came to pass that from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the hapergians and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded the wall and they that bear the burden with those that laid it. Every one with his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side and, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet, he was by me. And I said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large and we are separated upon the wall, one from another, far from another. So in what place, therefore, you hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us. You come to us when you hear the sound of the trumpet. God shall fight for us. I love the book of Nehemiah for many reasons. I love the Bible, but there are places that speak to you in such ways. The first part of the book of Nehemiah tells how that Nehemiah leads the people of God in the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem that had been torn down by the enemy, that had been broken down by the enemy. The gates of the city had been burned, they had been taken captive. They had been captive for 70 years, they had suffered and all of this. And so it seemed to be the main objective at that time was to get that wall built, the wall that surrounded Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the enemy. And in the building of the wall, they face much opposition. And in chapter 4, it heats up. And if they are not careful, they will be discouraged, and they will stop working. Discouragement was coming from two directions. It was coming from without... And it was coming from within. It was coming from without and it was coming from within. The enemy was saying without, we will cause this work to cease. It will stop. We will not let them build this wall. They don't have the strength and we're going to let them know that they're not going to build this wall. And within they themselves were tired and discouraged. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter seven and verse five. He says to the church there. He says, "When we were come to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. You ever had places in your life where you just were tired, and not just physically, although when you're mentally tired, it will make you physically." He said, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were tired, but we were troubled on every side. He said, without were fightings, and within were fears. Paul understood what they were going through. The enemy was a threat from outside, and the people were tired and overwhelmed and afraid on the inside working, and the work was feeling too much at times. And at times, it seemed almost pointless to them because of all the, all the debris that was around. They kept looking at the work that needed to be done and the trouble that was around them in their own city. How many of you... Now, now listen, I, I'm a single man, and, and I cannot for the life of me figure out how one man can have so much laundry. I can't for the life of me figure out how one man can mess up a whole house. I can't figure that out for me. So some of you that clean your house, I start to say, ladies, but you men might clean your house. I don't know. Some of y'all will understand what I say is, have you ever been cleaning house and kept, and kept doing and doing and looking around you and thought to yourself, my God, how much more is there? You do one thing. Listen, I get distracted in my purpose. I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll take laundry from the laundry place in the kitchen to the bedroom. And when I get the bedroom and put that up, I get distracted because there's a load of stuff right over here that needs to be done. And directly, I'm moving stuff around in the bedroom. And, and after a while, I'm going, my Lord, I'm off my purpose. I'm off my purpose. And you get tired. You get, you get weary in it. Some of you know what I mean at work. The more you do seems like the more there is to do and so the people felt like at times it's pointless because there's just so much debris and trouble around us we keep putting our hands to the work but the more we do it just seems like nothing's being accomplished have you felt that way in your family work Nehemiah had a moment himself in fact Verse 13, he said, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall. We heard what was going to happen. Then I kept hearing what everybody was saying. So what we did was we stopped working. We stopped working, and I said in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. We just stopped working, prepared for what was coming, just prepared for the, whatever we were going to have to do at the moment. Even Nehemiah had his moment in all of this at his moment in all of this. But then as he looked around, he began to realize, he began to realize something. He began to realize something. He began to realize that what they were doing here was not just about a wall. I know it seems like the main objective for him coming home, and it was one of the main objectives physically of coming home, what the main objective it seemed like was to build that wall But as he began to look around at everybody who had stopped working and their families and their children and the husbands and their wives with frightened looks on their faces and disturbed uh, demeanors and nervousness around them, he began to realize this thing that we're doing here is more than just a wall. What he began to realize that the main objective here was about their families. They weren't just building a wall. They were building their lives with a mission from the Lord. They were returning back to God. They were returning back to the service of God. So it wasn't just about a wall. It was about their families. And something just began to rise up within Nehemiah. And he began to say in verse 14. He said, I looked and I rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people. He said, don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid of these enemies. You remember the Lord. You remember what you called to do. You remember who you are. You remember who He is. You remember how great and how terrible He is. And you fight. Not for this wall. You fight for your brothers. You fight for your sons. You fight for your daughters. You fight for your wives. You fight for your household. This is our main objective. We're going to build this wall, but this wall is part of our rebuilding our lives and our families. And we're going to do it according to the word of the Lord. So they returned turned to building the wall. Now it does go on to say, basically giving us a picture that they did this hammer in one hand and sword by their side, ready to bind together whenever there was a threat to their work. And they built the wall fighting for their families all for love's sake all for love's sake when he looked around and realized it's not just about a wall it's about my family it's about my family folks i don't know whether you realize it or not but we are in a fight for our families and it's not just about walls the physical you know what seems to be the main objective in our lives at the time is so much more. At the times of building our families, it seems like the, the main objective is to make them good people, our kids good people, and prepare them for society and prepare them to work and prepare them to have a job and, to, and so they can buy their own house, so they can you know, pay their own way, so that they can do. That seems to be the main objective in life is to prepare them for this life. But listen, can I tell you something? The building of those walls is not the main objective. That is not the fight that we're in. Because anybody can teach folks those skills. Amen. I believe that it's important for us to teach our children those skills. Do you realize that in this day that we're living in, there are folks who are actually developing classes and they're developing uh, programs to help millennials uh, to know how to do basic chores and basic things, to to take care of a checkbook, to pay their bills, to change a tire, to check their oil. I mean, just basic things in their life. Why? Because somewhere along the line, come on, saints, somewhere along the line, And so here we are in a fight to try to prepare our kids to be able to change a tire if they need to. Uh, Oh, but they don't even know how to read the Word of God. And not just read it, but to apply it to their lives. We are in a fight for our families. And it's not the main objective for us at at times is, is, is so much more than what we think it is. Because our fight is to pass down a heritage of godliness and righteousness that is relevant in any generation. That's re- that's relevant in any generation, to make sure that we develop our generations after us to know God and to f- and not only to know Him, but to follow Him. What will we do? What what will we do in our families as a whole to build a strong family unit centered around Christ? What are we going to do? All for love's sake in our own families. This is our fight. Last week you'll indulge me, I pulled out three cheers, and I want to pull them out this morning if I could, and uh, because I want to help demonstrate something to you if I could, and I wrestled about using the cheers today, but this is important, because I need you to get a good mental image of what we're talking about this morning. In this fight that we're in, In this building that we're in, how successful we are and what happens in our family unit all depends on our position. It all depends on our position in life. In Judges chapter 2, there's two scriptures I want to read there that I read last week. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 and 10. The Bible says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. In verse 10 it says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done, he had done for Israel. A whole generation that knew not the Lord. buddy. Can, will you come up here for a minute? Oh, buddy, come up here for a minute. Tap him. I'm, you, come up here. <laughs> I know. I said, buddy, come up here. <laughs> Bud, will you come up here and get in the middle chair? Trey, will you come sit in the third chair? Thank you. I appreciate it. You sit right there. I want you to get a good picture, and this is a perfect picture for us perfect picture for us so here we have exactly what we're talking about pretty much what we're talking about as well as we can relate this judges chapter 2 has said that there was joshua then there was a generation that outlived joshua and then there was a whole nother generation that came up we have joshua and then we have the generation that outlived joshua and then we have a whole nother generation that comes up after joshua We have a grandfather, we have the son, and we have the grandson. Generation to generation to generation. And when we look at this particular scripture and what has actually happened, we need to understand where these folks are. Where these folks are. Joshua represents the generation that says to us, As for me and my house... We are going to serve the Lord. Folks that are in the, and Now listen, and I don't want you to get lost in the grandparent thing because all the grandparents aren't sitting here positionally, spiritually. But how, how it looks here in the scripture. They are more concerned about God and his people and being obedient to the word of God And teaching his people the word of God. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Folks who are sitting in this chair represent a generation of folks who have decided that no matter what's going on around us, no matter what influences are going on around us, no matter what's pulling at us from every direction, we have decided that... Us and, and our family uh, is going to serve the Lord This is where you want every generation to be at is right here This is where we all want to be at is right here We want to be in a place where we are concerned first and foremost about serving God and serving his people When we come to chair two we look at what we're looking at as we're looking at the elders Joshua, who has, had led them into the promised land, he has died. He has made his choice. Now this next generation, the elders that outlive him, where we see them at, as a, we see them in a place, we see them at a place where they're starting to forget that whole mindset of as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. They have begun to become, they have begun to be distracted by the glitz and the glamour and the lights and the pictures and the scenes of this new world they are in. They have new opportunities. Joshua got into this place and when he came, he knew who God was because he had seen God at work. He knew what would happen if you were disobedient to God because Moses, his mentor, never even made it into the promised land. He made up in his mind, when I get to this land, I don't care what's in this land. I don't care what's in this culture. I'm not part of this culture. I am the people of God. But once these folks got intermingled, they realized... Oh, you mean there's those activities? You mean we can do that too? Oh, there's other stuff. Wow. How wonderful. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it, they began to think more of themselves and self-gratification. They still served the Lord. Come on now. They still still made sacrifices at the temple like they were supposed to. But their hearts, and and one of the things that started happening in this generation, and the reason why I say that, because you can see it in the next generation, is these folks stopped doing one of the main objectives, and that was to pass down the Word of God, the oral tradition. They quit this oral tradition. This oral tradition. We talked about this last week. A lot of folks have put it on the church to disciple your children. That's not the way it was intended. God intended you as a parent and as a family to disciple your children. We're just here to reinforce and help direct them. We're just here for help. We're here for support. We are not. (laughs) Come on now. But this generation, they stopped doing that. They stop passing it down orally, passing down the traditions of God and his word and all of those things. They stop doing that. So, what has happened is you move down to this generation, and when you start compromising here, this is what will happen. What happens in this generation is you have a whole generation that rises up because what generation does and one generation does in moderation, the next generation does what? In excess. Amen. They'll go further and further. And what has happened is this generation is all about self. It's all about self. Because they didn't even know who God was, let alone what God had done. So here we have... Now, see, the reason why I need you to get a good picture and the reason why this is so helpful to us because you know, you realize, grandfather, I mean, literally, grandfather, parent to child. Are you seeing what I'm seeing, folks? We're talking about just two generations down of a whole generation of people who don't even know the Lord. Two generations. We're not talking about generations and generations down the line. We're talking about two generations down. A whole generation comes that doesn't know the power of God, that doesn't know the power of the Holy Ghost, that doesn't know the power of the Word of God, who has forsaken and has done against us two generations down. Two generations down. Now, now, folks, listen to me. So you tell me, how are we going to keep this from happening to us? We're still talking about all for love's sakes, for the love of your family. How are we going to keep this from happening to us? How are we going to keep this from happening? Thank you all. Y'all can go sit down. Thank you, buddy. Last week, we used this illustration to talk about our kids and discipling our children. We talked about what each cheer represented for us. So let's go back, if you don't mind. Cheer one, this generation... It represents relationship, a true relationship to God. Him first and foremost. These folks who are in this cheer, they are solely in this position. Let's forget cheer. In this position in their walk with God, they are solely dependent on the direction and leading of the Holy Ghost. Not only, they don't just study and read the word, but they submit to it. They don't just know what the Bible says, but they submit to it. They aim to be obedient despite their own ideas and feelings. It doesn't matter what we feel and how we think. We just know that the Word is right. The Word is is, is God's Word. So we're going to do what God says. We submit ourselves to the Word. We don't make excuses for ourselves. We don't pass things off. We have decided that we're going to live according to the Word of God. Church is not just an obligation or a social commitment to them. They're not just here all the time just because they feel like that's their responsibility. It's a place of importance scripturally. Discipleship is not then the sole role of the church to these folks. Discipleship is their role. It's my role to disciple my children, to know how to live for God. My role, because I'm the one who gets up with them in the morning. I'm the one who picks them up from school. I'm the one that takes them to soccer and basketball and baseball and football and every other kind of ball you can think of. I'm the one who has to take care of these needs. Anna said, listen, I saw your face in. Anna's going, damn, I'm the one who has it. Then you have a responsibility too. Thank you, Sister Anna. Thank you, Sister Anna. Because she's sitting in that chair too. And if you've got a response, she's going to go, man, I wish I hadn't made that face. If you're the one that's got that much time with those kids, then you bear a responsibility too on those who are under you to teach them through your actions and your ways and the word of God how to live for God and be for God and be for him only. That just goes to prove that maybe the parents are slack in their responsibility and discipling their children. So if you're the one picking them up from school, you're the one taking them to stuff, you're the one having to keep them and do this and do that, then you're the one who bears a responsibility in their life to teach them the ways of God. Amen. If you're going to teach them how to stay in this position, because that, that's, that's who these folks are. That's who, who these folks are. These folks right here... They're more religious. They're more religious. They're dependent on the spirit and the self. They're not just dependent on the spirit. They're dependent on the spirit and the self. These folks right here, and I know we said this, we talked about this last week. Please bear with me. These folks are dependent on the spirit and the self. What that means is. If it's convenient in the spirit or they have time to pray about it enough and, and listen to God, they'll try to follow God maybe, you know, in whatever he tells them to do. But if I don't have time to pray, I'm just hoping I'm going to get this right. Or if I don't feel it, if I'm, not, if I'm not sensing it, well, I just don't feel it. I just feel like anybody asks you what you feel. But the problem is, if you're sitting in this chair, it's all about the spirit and the self. Whichever one is more convenient at the time. It's like being on a teeter totter. It's like being on a seesaw. You're up and you're down and you're up and you're down in your thought processes about the will of God for your life and your family. This place, people in this position right here respect the Bible. In fact, they believe the Bible, but they're not always completely submitted to its authority. You believe it. Well sure it's the word of God But you're not always submitted to his authority You're not always willing to do exactly what it says Well I'm not sure if that's what it means You are telling a lie You know that's what that means You just don't want to do it Come on now You know what this place is This place is a chair of compromise Church may be good But it's not always necessary No, no that's not, I'm sorry I looked down too far Church is good But church becomes more like a social commitment. It's like checking a box. I said last week, you can tell when people have made church a social commitment because if something else better comes along or if something else is going on in their lives and they don't have time for church, they'll fit that in where they can. It becomes more of a social commitment to them. Because it's important, but, it's important, but, you know, you still with me? Say amen. Discipleship is, and listen, folk, these folks, it's not, it doesn't mean they don't get something out of church or they don't love the church to whatever degree they do, but they're committed. They're just not committed. They're, they're just not committed to, to the working. Discipleship for these folks is more the responsibility of the church because the church are the experts on this. So we'll teach them what we can, but we're dependent on the church to do most of the teaching as far as discipleship is concerned. This, this, these folks right here, they're into that more religious place. Then they, once you, but once you get to this chair, this position, and if you're following the family position and how that goes, once you get down to this, this generation right here, if you're following this progression, then by the time you get here, what you have produced is the rejection generation. They're dependent on self, their success, education, moral viewpoint, etc. We see it now everywhere. The Bible is good. The Bible is a good book, but they don't believe in its inerrancy, and they don't believe in its relevance for today's time. Thank you. I do have filters. Church may be good, but to this generation, it's not necessary. Discipleship, they reject anyone telling them how to live. And this group, what they're going to do is they're going to leave their children to decide for themselves. That's what's going to happen in this group. That's what's going to happen in this group. Let's look at the parental view when we talk about the position here. Did I mention earlier that we're in a fight for our family? Did I mention that? Did y'all forget that part? Don't get caught up in all these demonstrations and stuff and lose the point here. We're in a fight for our family, and we're talking about the position that you and I are in right now. Let's talk about the parental view. The parental view for these folks right here in this position is that they're concerned with raising godly kids. They're they're concerned with raising godly kids. That's what they want. Godly kids. Godly kids. Godly kids. Holy kids, righteous. Kids that are going to follow holiness and righteousness for their life and, and, and commitment to the Lord. They're, looking, they're concerned with raising godly kids. And these are the folks that if they want to, if they will... Do, do what they can and let the Lord do, to, to help them, they will raise fair, they can raise first chair children, they can raise a whole other generation to stay right here they realize it doesn't have to go to that second chair, their generations can go here, amen and their generations can stay here in this position, it doesn't have to move down. they can raise second chair or first chair children second, this second People, group of people right here. Do you know what they're concerned with? They're concerned with raising good children. Good children. Well, I got, I got good kids. That's wonderful. Do you have godly children? Godly children. I appreciate the fact if your children are respectful to, to adults, they should be. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank God. There's some things I can say. Thank God for the south. Come on now, Amen. I've traveled. I've traveled the world. I've traveled all over the United States, and it unnerves me sometimes when I'm in the midst of children who look at me and say, "Yeah, (laughs) no," (laughs) because you know, you know me. I'm raised in the South. I want to go, no what, (laughs) but they're not my children. (laughs) They're not my children. Respectful children, hardworking children, children who make their money and make their way and all that kind of good stuff. We want. I, I understand. But do you want just good children? See, I believe if you raise godly children, they'll be good children. Amen. If we'll raise godly children, then they'll be respectful children. If you raise godly children, then they'll, they'll do the things that they're supposed to do. Amen. All that stuff. But see, people who are in this position, they're just concerned about making sure their children turn out good. And you know, the problem with that is people who are in this position, they cannot, they cannot themselves make first-year children but they very well can create 3rd cheer children. And see, this is what we don't understand. This is what we don't understand about this cheer of compromise, folks. You live this way. Your children aren't going to turn out like you. They're going to turn worse. They're going to be further. And God is teaching us. We are fighting a fight for our kids. Because this third group here, this third generation, they're just re- concerned with raising successful kids. And once you get here, well, you know what kind of children they're going to raise. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. I'm thankful for the mercy of God that sometimes kids who are in, in raising families of this cheer or this year, that sometimes a kid will hear the voice of God And they'll slip over here if they'll be obedient to the Lord. Whatever, whatever area your family is in, if your family, your second cheer and third cheer people, you don't have to stay there. Whatever, wherever place you are positioned at right now, you don't have to stay there. You can always shift to this first generation, this first cheer place. Why? If you'll submit to the authority of His Word and to submit to the authority of God in your life and determine that we're gonna live. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. But it's hard for people of compromise to raise godly children. It's hard. And it's doubly hard for people who aren't concerned to raise godly children. Come on now. But you know, the thing about this whole fighting for our family is not just about discipling our kids, but it's about strengthening the whole family unit. And that that in and of itself, that in and of itself, it doesn't just start with the kids. It has to start in the family unit of the couple, the husband and the wife. In Ephesians chapter 5 the Bible teaches us Paul teaches us submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God he said wives submit yourselves unto your own husband as the unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body therefore as the church is subject unto Christ so let the wives be subject or be to their own husbands in everything husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loves his wife loves himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but he nourishes it and he cherishes it even as the Lord the church for 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 we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be what? One One flesh. This is a great mystery, he says. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife, see that she reverence her husband. Paul is trying to help us to understand that there's even a position that we're at when we're talking about marriage. He said, husbands, you got to love your wife like you love your own body. In, in fact, he compares it. Paul compares it, and really what he's trying to point us to is Christ in the church when he compares this. Compares it to Christ and the bride because, did you realize this? Now listen to me. Did you realize this, that marriage is the earthly example of the spiritual relationship that Christ has with the church? Listen to me. Marriage is the earthly example is supposed to be the earthly example of the spiritual application of Christ and the church. Your marriage is supposed to mimic the relationship that Christ has with the church. Your marriage is supposed to reflect as a mirror Not just as an image in a pond that's blurry. A clear picture of Christ and the church. When the marriage wall is built with this principle in mind, it is strengthened through God's righteousness and God's holiness, laying a foundation for the whole family unit. The idea here is love, to love your wife as you love your own body. And for the wife to be subject. To the husband There's other scriptures that I didn't use Because we we can talk about stuff like that later Because you know some people say Well pastor you're not even married How can you speak to us about marriage Because I read the Bible (laughs) I don't have to have experience in such things To know what the Bible says Oh but it's easy for you to say You better believe it is But that don't mean you're not supposed to live it anyway You know, the Bible talks about how 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 if the 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 husband is sanctified by the wife, and in other words, there's there's a relationship that you have with your husband, wives, or or that you have with your wives' husbands, that even if your spouse is not married, that it makes a difference in whether you serve God or not. Because when you serve God, you'll serve them in the way that God has called you to. And who knows if that will not bring them to a right knowledge and salvation. To, to Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. In order that, for that to happen, you got to be positioned right. See, let me tell you about the marital view of this. People who are in this position, they believe that marriage is a covenant. That's unbreakable. That's unbreakable. That's unbreakable. Yeah but pastor things happen That's the problem We're too busy about thinking about stuff that's ha- That will happen or could happen These folks here Marriage is a covenant It's unbreakable We end this We have chosen We end this We end this Your children need to know that We end this You know why? Because you want them to be that kind of people People in this position This is a covenant That is unbreakable But folks, the thing about this position right here is that this position, in this position, marriage is not so much a covenant, it's a contract. We say it's a covenant. We say it's a covenant. We tell people we took a covenant. But mentally, it's a contract because it's breakable. It's breakable. And you know what breaks it more times than any? You know what breaks it? Is that when the individual's happiness is most important. Well, they're not meeting my needs. They're not making me happy. They're not, come on, saints. And when you're in this position right here, that's when you begin to think that a marriage is just a contract and not a covenant. Because if they're not making you happy, then you can begin to explore other avenues to make you happy because that's what's important to you. And listen, can I tell you, when you're in that position, you're not just doing it for yourself. You will raise your children to sit in this position. Did I tell y'all... That we are in a fight for our families. This, this position right here, you know what happens by the time we get here? Marriage is a legal convenience. It's not necessary. That's why you see more people than ever living together. Because marriage isn't important. Because it's not a covenant. It's just, it's a legal convenience. If we can benefit from it, <laughs> if we can benefit from it, then we'll get married but if not we're good the way we are are, did I tell y'all we're in a fight for our family we're in a fight for our family from generation to generation it will weaken if we don't persist to disciple each generation to follow Christ can I give you a better example I I did this last week but I wanna I need to do it again because I wanna show you all three places this is why we have the door I was teasing them earlier but he says Why is the door there? Bud said, because two weeks ago, the pastor preached (laughs) in a message. I said, Bud, it was last week. (laughs) I laughed. I said, I'm so glad I'm so impactful. Generation to generation. These folks right here, they're going, this is where they're at. Nowhere near the door. They are in a place that says, we're not moving. We are fixed. I have fixed my heart to be in covenant with God. And we're going to live for God. And I'm going to raise my children to live for God. They'll make their own decisions, but they'll crawl over hell, high water, and the blood of Jesus to get there. Because this is where we're at. People who are in this position, they're always at the edge of the door. They can stay in or they can go out at any time. Because there's no commitment here. Do you know what's here? There's commitment here, but what's co- what here is prevalent in their lives is compromise. Compromise in their own personal lives. Compromise about God and the Bible and prayer and church and all those things. There's too much compromise. They're always in the doorway. Of the, in the, in the doorway. Whether it's the doorway of God, whether it's the doorway of a relationship or with one another, whether it's the doorway of, of His Word or the church, they're always in the doorway. They're never committed except to compromise. And then these folks right here, they're just completely out of it. God has no authority or place in their life unless it's convenient for a funeral or when they're sick. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out what real position we're in. See, the side by side, it's hard to figure out where we're at. But when you look at it this way, discipling your kids, if you're committed, then family devotions is not just the only thing you do. If praying at night with your children is, is the most of your spiritual discipleship of your children, it's not enough. It's not enough. He said, when you get up, when you lay down, when you walk through the day, you give it to them all the time, the Word of God, the demonstration of the Word of God. You make sure they understand. We do what we do because we want to please God. If you're in this position, your discipleship is a hidden miss." It's it's just a hit and miss. Because you've compromised on on this. And you know what happens? You're always in the doorway. Always in the doorway. There are times you're real committed to discipleship. Now listen to me again. Some of you are already thinking, well, I know it's hard sometimes to get that family devotion at night. But see, that's the thing. That's what I'm telling you. If that's your sole place of true discipleship, then then you ought to feel bad and I don't mean because it's a hit and miss I mean because that's all you do listen I'm trying to calm down killer I'm trying to calm down I'm not trying to be not trying to be so rough what I'm trying to tell you is we're trying to raise children to love God and if we out here what in the world do you have to offer your kids as far as God? You need to teach them how to be successful, because what else are you going to teach them? When you are here in a, in a marital view, you're in a covenant. You're not going nowhere. Well, What if they do? You're not going nowhere. Sister, uh, Mother Jones has testified on the Wednesday night for us about her own family. Now listen, her her. Thing is, may not be your, I don't know. She testified about her own marriage and the problems that she had with her husband and, and things that most people probably encouraged her to get rid of him and move on. But because she was sitting here and it wasn't about any traditions or any thoughts, she said the Lord would not let her leave. I'm telling you, I'm not. I, I'm beyond thoughts, beyond feelings about it, beyond whatever. She said the Lord wouldn't let her leave. The Lord wouldn't let her leave, and what she was determined was to to be obedient to God, who did not give her direction to leave her marriage. Well, what about? I'm not talking about what about and about you and what you did or what you do, and I. I'm talking about being a person who says to themselves, when I'm in this marriage, I'm just going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit alone. And if he says don't go nowhere, then I ain't going nowhere, even if I could go somewhere. That's what I'm saying. Are you back with me? Because, you know, people get mad and people get tiffy about that kind of stuff. Oh, you know what you're trying to say. Quit trying to figure me out and listen to what I'm saying. People here are all about being obedient to what the Spirit is saying to us. And because she, sat, because she stayed in this position, the Lord saved her husband. The Lord saved her husband and worked in her family. But see, how she been sitting here in, with that, more, that viewpoint and that position in her life? Do you know where you're sitting when you're sitting here? You're always sitting in the doorway. Because this is always an option. Go ahead. Do what you're going to do. I, my hand is on the door. My hand is on the door. And not for me to leave, but I'm going to put your stuff out. I'm so glad that my eyesight's bad because y'all blurry, and I can't even tell whether you're smiling or not. But when you sit here, that's exactly... When you're out here, well, y'all know. Did I tell you we're in a fight for our family? Nehemiah said fight for your family. And what you and I have to decide is where we're going to sit in life. What position are you and I going to be in? They built the wall, hammer in one hand and sword by the side, ready to rally. What, what, what are we going to do? Because, see, this is, what we sh- this is what we need to be doing. Go on to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to, to wrap this up. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment of promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth you fathers don't provoke your children to wrath don't poke the bear all the time cause you can I'm not talking about kidding and joking around and stuff I'm just talking about I can't even use the phrase that's going through my head don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Fathers, love your children. Bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Teach them how to serve me and serve me well. But then he goes on to say, then he goes on to say, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devils. Because, see, we're fighting things that are without as well as fighting things that are within. There are battles being waged against the family from the outside and from the inside. And you've got to determine what position you're going to remain in. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore taken to you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all preservation and supplication for the saints. Put your armor on and teach your children how to put their armor on. Teach your wives how to help her get her armor on. Wives, help your husband get his armor on. Why? Because listen, we should be raising up warriors for Christ not successful doctors and lawyers and if that happens in the process, praise Jesus. But for goodness sake, raise up warriors for Christ. Why? Because in this culture, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against powers and principalities. You want to raise up godly children. You want to have a godly marriage. You want to be a godly husband and a godly wife. Why? Because we are fathers for our families. Woo! Hallelujah, you are fighting for your families. And how successful you are determines what position you decide you're gonna sit in. Listen, my heart breaks too many times for people that I know were sitting in compromising positions and don't even realize it because everybody thinks they're here or if they don't if they know they're not here they have consigned themselves to not be perfect people we're not perfect we're gonna make mistakes and we have excused we have excused our position away we have said to people I don't want to miss this time with my family But if you've raised successful children and they're not godly, what if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? God help us. Number one, to be real and honest about where we're sitting. You don't have to do it with me, but you need to be honest with yourself. And you need to be honest with the Lord because confession and repentance is the only thing that's going to change what position you're in. Confession and repentance. And today you can make up your mind to begin or you can fortify your position and surrender. Did I tell you we're in a fight for our family? everything we do to fortify this position, we do all for love's sake. You know, I've looked at my own failures in my life and I've thought to myself my own struggles and I've thought to myself, you know, I don't have children, natural children that has come for me. But I have kids and I have Nieces and nephews, and I've thought to myself many times, oh God, I don't want my failures, I don't want my struggles to be passed down to this generation, even if they're not mine by blood. I want them to be better, so God help me to sit in the right position. We are in a fight for our families, in a fight for our families, and we're gonna have to decide. What are you willing to do for love's sake? What are you willing to do for love's sake? Because that's the test of true love. True love. What are you willing to do all for love's sake? You know, in this series, we've talked about our love for God. We've talked about the love for the harvest. But I think this right here is probably one of the first and most important places that we need to start with this morning we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. Listen to me, young people, young adults. Let me speak to you for just a second. You need to evaluate where you're coming from. And, and this is why you don't have to do this to me. Because you don't have to speak whatever about your parents. But you need to evaluate where you're really coming from. Were your parents and are your parents first generation people or were they not? Just go ahead and evaluate. Now what you need to evaluate and you know what I found that there's been a lot of people who started here who ended up So evaluate now where where they're at. Not because you want to judge them, but because you need to decide where you are. And you need to measure where you are by his standard and not theirs. Not theirs, his standard. Because today, young adults and young people, you have a decision to make about what position you're going to be in. And I'm urging you, by the Spirit of God, to decide. As for me and my house... We're committed. We're in covenant. I'm going to live for him. Marriage is unbreakable. My children will know the Lord. will serve him. will be in covenant with him. Decide. You that are older, my age and above, be honest with yourself and know that there is hope for you if we are not in this position. Move. I've been in places where I've been sitting at tables. I, just, I told you about one place just, just this holiday. I was sitting around with some people I love. And something that was going on at the table that I was sitting at did not suit my taste for how you treat people. I said, let me get up so somebody else can have this seat. I'm going to sit at the other table. You have to decide. And you can change positions. But it's up to you. It's up to you. I want you to stand all over this building if you would. Oh God, we thank you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's not only the power of God and the salvation to them that believe. But you are our strength to believe. And our strength to make choices right. I pray that by your spirit, you've already been speaking to our hearts and dealing with our hearts, and that, God, we will come to a place in you where we need to be. Help us, Father, I pray. By your spirit, draw us. By your spirit, speak to us. By your spirit, convict us so that we will draw closer, that we will be the people that you're calling us to be. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.